Hello, you are listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Audubon, Louisiana. And I'm Simone Malaz with Restore or Retreat. How are you, Simone? In a shocking turn of events, I am late for our own radio show, oh, Jacques. I hear there's some, uh, some intense football traffic downtown right now. Yes, yes. Tis the season for state championship playoffs and, and uh, a nice rainy day, cold. And so that leads to a perfect mix of people not knowing how to drive in New Orleans. But but I'm glad that we're back on the show. I am too. And, you know, I'm glad that they're playing football inside today. But, you know, this is exciting weather, right? It might snow, at least on the North Shore. All my kids talk about. So oh, I don't know <laughs> I if they're, I don't know if we'll get any on the South shore, but it, it's certainly exciting. And, um, you know, I, I think Louisiana drivers are bad enough. And then when you throw some snow and, and ice and rain into the mix, that things get crazy. So we hope people stay safe. Um, but you've been busy. You're, I know you're on the road coming back yeah. from, uh, from Terrebonne. Is that correct? So actually we were all the way down in Port Fouchon today. So we co-hosted a Coastal Connections event uh, with CPRA. Uh, we've talked about it several times on the show, and we've had Rudy Simino and Brad Barth on the show with us before. Um, they do outreach events where they go host open houses um, in different parishes, and so we coordinated with them uh, to host one in Lafouche Parish, and we had, uh, we had a good time. It was nice to spend time with those guys and uh, really talk about how the project impacts uh, the parish that they were spending some time in. So That's we're grateful great. for them doing that. And how was the, was it a good turnout? Yeah, yeah. We had a, a couple of interested folks, and we had it down at uh, Morian's Marina down there. So it's a popular spot. And so um, I encourage anybody who gets a chance to go. It's, it's some uh, really great one-on-one time with the staff from CPRA. So, yeah, it was really, really great. So I uh, spent some time in Fouchon and now coming to the other end. Awesome. How about you? This is, you haven't even been working. So. And, yeah, you know, it's getting to that point of the end of the year when your vacation days are just accumulating and it's a use it or lose it moment. But I had some uh, family in town um, and so we I was a tour guide and of course we ate way too much. So I think I'm going to be paying for it. I'm going to try to take it easy between now and Christmas. But well, we, we did eat very well. I'm so glad to have you back. We have a good show lined up for today. We do. We're we're welcoming some new guests um, to you know our coalition. We're checking in on um, some important um, finance news that's happening out of CPRA next week. So it'll be a really good show. Um, and I know uh, you're also in, down um, uh, attending some of the LA Safe meetings. Is that correct? That they're kind of starting to roll out those meetings again and going back in the communities where they've been um, prior, kind of soliciting ideas and feedback. Yeah. Definitely. This is this is the end of uh, the, uh, this is kind of the final stages of this part of the LA Safe process. So Victoria from uh, Restore Retreat uh, went to the Terrebonne meeting last night. Uh, she said it was a really great meeting. Uh, very different setup. Um, good. You know, they had people to talk about. Um, the different posters that were there, and I uh, actually got to vote on the process, which is something that's really important in this last round that they've uh, winnowed it down to a couple of different projects, and, and the public gets to say so in, in some of the projects that they feel are important. Um, so there's more project, um, there's more parish meetings still to be lined up. Uh, Terrebonne already had theirs a couple weeks back, but we still have Jefferson, Lafouche, and a few others that are still coming up. 
That's great. Yeah. And it's definitely something that we've been following closely um, as that um, process has unfolded. And, you know, we're going to get to our guests, but next week is a big week for coastal issues. Is that correct? So we have on December 12th, there's the Louisiana Coastal Protection Restoration Authority's Financing Corporation meeting. On the 13th is the monthly board meeting. And um, from what I understand, it's an important one because of the um, 2018, 2019 annual plan. 19. Na- yeah. yeah. 19. And yeah. then the parish match. Um, and then as well as uh, followed by an information session on outcome-based performance contracts um, and environmental impact bonds. And we're going to talk a little bit about that on the show today. So no doubt next week will um, be an equally busy week. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. Great. Well, let's welcome our first guest um, onto the show in a few minutes. But for now, we're going to continue (laughs) chatting a little bit. So, Simone, what, you know, what else has been been going on? I mean, it's a busy end to the year. You know, we're also, like I said, looking ahead to uh, to next year and, and the annual plan. So as a refresher, can you tell folks what is the annual plan exactly and why is it so important? Yeah, so um, it's funny to hear, you know, it's fiscal year 19, which is funny because we're not even in 18 yet, right? So, um, but it is the fiscal year 18 because the state runs on a little different calendar. But uh, so every five years we pass the annual plan, I mean, the master plan, right, is which is that science-based document that um, that is the project priorities for restoration, protection, and non-structural but this annual plan is the annual document which guides the year-to-year spending. And so this is actually the financial document um, that outlines how the state plans to spend their money in, um, in the next uh, year. And then it also projects out two years forward. So that's really important. Um, and it's passed the same way as the master plan where, um, where it has to go through two different committees on both sides, uh, so natural resources and transportation on both the House and the Senate side. Um, and in addition to talking about the spending priorities, it also has, is a really great recap of some of the projects that they've completed or even started in the past year. So it really has some uh, great statistics in it as well. Um, so that's always very helpful information. Um, and so one of the reasons why they're talking about it now is because as soon as the new year starts, they will be um, having some public meetings around the state um, to unveil the plan and to talk about it a little more detail. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's hugely important. And, and I mean, I think it's a process that sounds like I mean, it'll kick off next week with the board meeting. And then, right. as you said, it'll go into next year, into the legislative session, um, and we'll be following it closely. And hopefully we can have some folks from CPRA on to discuss what's yeah, in the annual definitely. plan, you know, what's new this this time around. Um, but it, it is a hugely important document. Yeah. So, like I said, it, it starts, um, one of the reasons why they're um, talking about it in draft form now is because um, the public meetings start uh, January 8th, there's a meeting in Belchase. January 9th, there's a meeting in Homa. And January 10th, there's a meeting in Lake Charles. And one of the reasons why uh, that is starting so early is because, of course, it has to be in a final form to be presented to the Louisiana legislature. And that uh, starts as soon as March 12th this wow. year. And so um, we're kind of used to some of those late starts on the annual plan, but it actually uh, needs to get going a little yeah. earlier this year. So it'll so. be an important process that we'll follow. We're actually going to take a break right now. Um, you're listening to Delta yeah. Dispatches, and we'll be back after the break. 
Hi, I'm Don Cheadle. Listen up. I want to talk to you about something important, the Environmental Defense Fund. EDF isn't like some of the other environmental groups. EDF works together with those on both sides of the issue. Despite all the fighting in Washington, EDF has found ways for both parties to support real progress. That has made our air and water cleaner and the products in our homes safer. So not only can our planet prosper, so can our future. Go to edf.org to see how you can help. National Wildlife Federation gives voices to the wildlife conservation values that are part of our country's heritage. We are charting a new course for wildlife that our children and grandchildren will thank us for. Visit our website, nwf.org Louisiana, to find out more about our work to restore and protect coastal Louisiana for generations to come. National Wildlife Federation, uniting all Americans to ensure wildlife thrive in a rapidly changing world. nwf.org Louisiana. At Audubon, we believe that where birds thrive, people prosper. Nowhere is that more evident than in Louisiana. Integrating science, education, and policy, Audubon, Louisiana's mission is to conserve and restore natural ecosystems, focusing on birds, other wildlife, and their habitats for the benefit of humanity and the Earth's biological diversity. Visit la.audubon.org to learn more and support our mission. la.audubon.org. Restore Retreat is a coastal nonprofit organization working in the heart of the Barataria and Terrebonne Basins, from the Mississippi River to the Atchafalaya. We work every day to restore Louisiana's coast community and culture with our mission of implementing long-term and large-scale projects for our irreplaceable region. We'll hope you join us in supporting the solution. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and online at www.restoreorretreat.org. And we're back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM, also available anytime online, deltadispatches.org. This is Jacques Hebert with Restore Retreat, and I'm so pleased to have my co-host and partner in crime (laughs) with me in the studio. Yeah, I'm here. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Okay. (laughs) Rushing in from the the winter storm. (laughs) So I'm so excited to welcome our next guest, uh, not just to Delta Dispatches, but to our Restore the Mississippi River Delta Coalition staff. Absolutely. I used to uh, I used to call and bug her about projects, and and now I can like actually keep calling her and bugging her about projects. She's on our team. Welcome to the show, Deviani Carr. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. So, Deviani, um, you are you recently joined um, our coalition through Environmental Defense Fund, um, but prior you were at the Coastal Protection yeah, and Restoration CPRA. Authority. So. Uh, you bring a rich background in coastal project management, science, hazard mitigation, and urban planning. Um, you were a project manager for CPRA for a while, working on projects like Kalu Lake, Barrier Island Restoration, Long Distance Sediment Pipeline, Bayou DuPont, and Lake Hermitage Marsh Creation. All very big projects yeah. that we've talked about before. Viviani's my Whiskey Island girl. Uh, Whiskey <laughs> Island is beautiful, <laughs> by the way. I went yeah. out there. It's a beautiful... Um, you're a coastal scientist with expertise in restoration, hurricane, and flood risk reduction. She got a PhD. GIS and rem- 
remote sensing applications and environmental management, hazard mitigation, planning, disaster management, and climate change implications on coastal areas. And yeah, you have a too. PhD yeah, in we, oceanography. Yeah, Jacques and I have all that too. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> so quite quite an impressive resume, and we're so lucky to have you on board. But um, how have the first few weeks been, Devyani? She hasn't quit yet, so that's good. <laughs> They've been great. Um, I'm just trying to keep things straight. Um, I usually don't know which meeting I'm joining in, but uh, it, it's getting more and more clear. But we have lots of amazing. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's good. I'm, I'm kind of getting the hang of it, and everybody's been really helpful. So, Devyani, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, besides what Jacques just wrote us, uh, you know, told us. Tell us about yourself. That sounds like an interview question. Okay. <laughs> you already got the job. It's okay. You can tell us whatever you want. <laughs> well, as uh, Shark stated, um, I have a bachelor's in urban planning. That's from India. So after I finished my bachelor's, I came to the States. I went to school in North Carolina and then got my PhD from LSU. Now, that's just the educational background. Um, right after LSU, I started working with CPRA. I met my husband here. He is also a PhD nice. in English literature. Ooh, ah, that must be fun dinner. It, it is, except <laughs> it doesn't bring in any money. So he's actually a software architect. Oh, <laughs> I know. He, he always says that coding is, you know, as rich as literature. So yeah, sure. <laughs> well, literature is the fun part, right? So, Divyani, I understand that you're degree your phd in oceanography is a little more mm-hmm. interesting than that yes it's a very yeah. long word that neither jacques and i want to try to pronounce of what you really <laughs> studied all right so i studied uh paleo tempestology just say it slow and it's not that hard paleo tempestology <laughs> let's try to guess what we think that is jacques oh yeah. Well, paleo seems like uh, dinosaur. Yeah, earth stuff, <laughs> earth, right? Yeah, tempest. I don't know. That can mean a lot of different things. So that's your English literature <laughs> part, right? The tempest. Yeah. <laughs> why, don't, why don't you tell us what it means? <laughs> <laughs> it might get a little dangerous if we start to guess. All right. So um, I guess, you know, with the uh, uh, hurricane predictions, we use the last, I want to say about, 50 to 100 years, wherever it's been recorded. And that's kind of our time scale as far as what we project as the probability of strike in certain areas. Now, with the paleotempestology, what it really means is you're studying, um, well, hurricanes in the way, way, way past, going back thousands of years. I told you about the guy and, from LSU. Yeah. Yes. I told Chuck about a professor I met at LSU that studied ancient hurricanes. Uh, Kambulu, he's yes. my advisor. Yes, yeah. that's <laughs> I, awesome. I studied under him. I yeah, told him he yeah, should come on the show uh, one time. He's brilliant. I think he's kind of now the father of paleotempestology. <laughs> now I know. <laughs> that's that. awesome. So how do you even go it's about tracking a like, hurricane that like happened like thousands yeah, of millennia years. ago? So um, my research was mostly concentrated in the Caribbean region. So I had Dominican Republic and Nicaragua. Now, the whole idea behind it is it's pretty simple. That You know, hurricanes bring in overwash. Mm-hmm. And when you have sand and, you know, overwash from the sea or the ocean, um, it comes in and then it recedes. Now, after it recedes, it leaves 
sand markers in the mostly organic marsh areas, I mean, lagoon areas. And then you have, you know, sedimentation and all that. So what we do is we uh, take cores and we analyze the cores. Now, of course, um, after you burn these samples from the cores, you'll realize that some are organic, which burn fast, Mm -hmm. and certain areas have sand, you know? So once you find out that sand layer, you look above and below it. It's like a mystery you have to solve. Yeah. (laughs) That's so neat. Carbon dating. Wow, that so, that's fascinating. I love. I think that's so neat. So, Deviani, how how do y'all take that and apply that to like what might happen in the future, or, or are you really just trying to study kind of like how you got here? Um, you can, and my focus was basically on the coastal uh, population and uh, vulnerability and building resilience. So you take this information, and now this is not the only information you have. However, this is a longer scale. Mm -hmm. So you use the probability, combine it with a shorter scale, which is, you know, decades or going up to a century, and you combine these two, and then you realize what exactly the risk is. You know, you can see the impact, how far it went in, things like that. And... Then what I did was, for these communities, I um, studied their census data and got a lot of indicators, you know, showing which areas are poorer, don't have access to vehicles, oh. all things like that. That is so now, fascinating. it's kind of what we are doing here as well. But um, these are for really, really, I mean, Nicaragua is a, a pretty poor region where mm-hmm. I did my research. So they are very vulnerable. They don't have strong, you know, brick or mortar houses and things like that. So using the census data, I was kind of able to specify in GIS which areas are more vulnerable than the Mm -hmm. others. Mm -hmm. And that would help, you know, a policy that would help these certain regions Mm -hmm. and prioritize them. So, yeah, that was kind of it's so fascinating. And so we're going to have to do another show just on yeah, that and yeah. uh, bring uh, the Absolutely. professor from LSU on. Mm-hmm. So, Deviani, I want to talk a little bit about what you're going to be doing now. So you're with Environmental Defense Fund um, and right. your official title is I had it somewhere. Coastal, Coastal Projects Manager. and Programs mm-hmm. Manager. So tell us a little right. bit about what you're going to be doing um, with Environmental Defense Fund and with our coalition. Well, um, Currently, what I started with, um, I'm the chair for the Projects and Programs Committee. Um, we are looking at prioritizing projects based on the uh, master plan that CPR is, produces every five years. And these projects will be, they're basically prioritized because they are, they affect a, a larger, uh, larger area, basically. They restore natural ecosystem functions, then they enhance and can contribute to community resilience. So these, there was a lot of criteria, but in short, we are looking at which projects do that the most, and we are trying to prioritize and track them and see the progress. Yeah, so before we left uh, for Thanksgiving break, we talked about the project's priority report. Um, we still mm-hmm. have some great information on the website available, Have has been getting a lot of attention mm-hmm. too, mm-hmm. right? So 
So right. Deviani gets, you know, just dropped right into that. Right? Yeah, no big deal. Just, well, I mean, yeah. they've been such excellent people who've actually done the grunt work. Yeah, <laughs> good. I'll probably be working more on the second round. Um, but no, I mean, I was just impressed looking at all the, um, you know, well, mostly spreadsheets. But yeah, it is. Those yeah. spreadsheets are the, super impressive, yeah. too. But now you know why right, I used to exactly. call all the time. <laughs> I used to call her all the time and say, um, it's about that time where I need an update. And we would talk about Whiskey <laughs> Island. And it's so great. And, and I've been out there and Jacques's been out there. It's been so wonderful to see the progress. So I'm excited mm-hmm. to have you on board because mm-hmm. now you have seen both sides of it, right? And so where yeah. we might be impatient about why a project mm-hmm. is not not coming online quick enough, I think you probably better understand maybe some of the delays or or some of the things right. that goes on behind the curtain that mm-hmm. we don't mm-hmm. always know about. So that's really refreshing to have your point of view with us. Yeah, and if folks want to go online to check out the report and the interactive map of I all the priority the restoration it's projects. Excellent. Oh, good. Uh, MississippiRiverDelta.org slash priority projects. And I mean, obviously, identifying the projects um, and, and kind of releasing them and saying, like, here are our priorities. Mm-hmm. That's one thing. But there's so much that goes into them in yeah. terms of funding, permitting, you know, Absolutely. timelines. So, of course, Deviana, your, your role going forward is going to be so important. And we're so glad to have you on board. We're about to go to a break, but I do want to talk a little bit more about your role at CPRA and highlight some of the amazing restoration projects that we've seen mm-hmm. firsthand that you had a role in. Um, so do you mind sticking around for one more segment? Sure. All right. Well, we will be right back after the break. You're listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM, available online anytime, deltadispatches.org. Yeah, what he said. Can I do it? Can I do it? Yay! I'm finally here for this. Welcome back to Delta Dis- Dis- da- da- Dispatches. <laughs> I'm Simone Laws with Restore Retreat and obviously a little rusty. I'm Jacques Hebert with Audubon, Louisiana, and that was amazing. <laughs> You're just glad I'm actually in my seat for once so on time. To, yeah, have you physically here. Welcome back, Deviani. Thank you. So, um, like I said, I knew you um, from your work at CPRA on Whiskey Island, but you worked on a couple other different projects. So tell us some of the things that you used to work on there. So um, some of the big projects, uh, one of my biggest ones was Long Distance Pipeline. Oh, yeah, sure. And very successful project. The thought was to have, you know, marsh creation projects and save cost on them because you already had the pipeline core. Right, up. right. And so that's where you mentioned Bayou DuPont. Mm-hmm. So uh, there were actually three, Bayou DuPont 2, 3, and the long distance. There were three projects which were done together for cost savings. Um, basically in multi-mode Yeah, and that's that was a really uh, a really great project because of that kind of foresight where right, if you bore, right. if you built the corridor that you could have other projects mm-hmm. come off of it. And I know it's a it was a pretty hot um project for Quipra too because the agencies could tap into that pipeline. So Exactly. Yeah, that's pretty diverse too. So you did barrier islands and marsh creation, has an urban planning degree. That's pretty cool to be able to work on all those things. <laughs> um so in in our right. work too, our prior we talk about diversions a lot, but the priority projects are also pretty diverse too. Mm-hmm. So we do ridges mm-hmm. and barrier islands. There are several things highlighted there. Yeah. Right. So anything else that you used to work on? Lake Hermitage, right, was very close to long distance in the yes. same kind of area. Lake Hermitage. <laughs> <We> <laughs> because it was, again, a 
slightly more complicated projects. We had funding from different sources mm-hmm. and, you know, about the reporting on each of these fundings. So we had a couple of projects join in. We had LOSCO and DNR. So it, it was a lot of funding, which is great. But to report on each of them for each project mm-hmm. <laughs> took mm-hmm. a while. So that was, again, a very successful project. I mean, before we could even go out and plant, I mean, it was lush. It was completely vegetated by itself. So, you know, that area is just, it's wonderful. So given a chance, I think the marsh wants to recover and, you know, just become a healthier marsh. That's great. That was one Mm-hmm. Oh, it's, I was just gonna say it's great seeing the you know the amount of progress that's been made, particularly in the last ten years. And you know, um, we talk so much about the master plan and projects that are important to implement, but it's so wonderful to see progress happening and projects being constructed. So I'm curious for you, you know, to be on the other end, what was it like to see the projects that you had worked on come to fruition, you know, be constructed, and then you actually go out and see marsh where it didn't exist before. It's it's awesome. <laughs> and I, I will tell you that as a project manager, I was very lucky because you actually are seeing a project being constructed on ground. You know, it's not like a feasibility or it's right, not... Right, only on paper. Uh, you yeah. know, this... Yeah. And uh, it, it's wonderful. And I think, um, you know, CPR has really, really smart people, very hardworking. So together, it's it's been amazing. Um, I can say I'm a CPR. <laughs> you'll you'll get but, to talk to him uh, enough, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's yeah, I, and I think um, just with my project management background from there, I feel that I already know a lot of the projects when I came into EDF, and that kind of helped with you know I, I could get started real fast. Well, so. Def- yeah. Well, Devyani, we're so excited again to have you on board with us as well as as a guest on Delta Dispatches. I'm sure this will be one of many times that yeah. we'll have you on the show. Um, and we look forward to hearing more from you um, in the, the months and years ahead. Yeah. Welcome to the team. Thank you. Thank you for joining. And she brings up a good point about, you know, some projects having complicated funding streams. And, and I mean, I think that's kind of going to be our future from here on out, that we need to maximize and leverage any funds that we have. Um, and we have all these different funding sources, and they come in differently. And some can pay for these and some can pay for that. We've talked about that on the, a lot on the show before. But what she was saying that she has experience in is something that we think is going to be a lot moving forward. So. Yeah. And that, I mean, that brings us to our next guest and our next topic, um, Shannon Kniff with Environmental Defense Fund. So on December 13th, we were talking about this next mm-hmm. week, CPRA is going to hold a meeting on outcome-based performance contracting and solicit input on how such contracts might, must be, might be designed. Um, so the meeting is 2 p.m. on the 13th in the LaBelle meeting room in the LaSalle building, right, 617 the, North 3rd Street in Baton Rouge. Right, the DNR mm-hmm. building, and that's, um, uh, so the CPRA monthly meetings that morning, so that's mm-hmm. very good timing. Too. And um, so this will be an opportunity to learn about the state's objectives um, for implementing such performance-based contracting and to influence the state's approach. And so we're excited to have um, Shannon Kniff, Director of Coastal Resilience from Environmental Defense Fund, back to talk about this topic. Welcome back to, uh, to Delta Dispatches, Shannon. Yeah, I can't believe you asked me back. (laughs) You know, that's the badge of honor around here to be a repeat guest. So welcome back, Shannon. Thank you very much. You've made some, uh, you've been busy. You've done some good work. Well, thank you. Yeah, we have been busy. Um, 
So tell us about the meeting next week. Yeah. So, you know, some people might think like, why would I care about, you know, performance-based, outcome-based contracting? Um, Because it's sort of wonky sounding, um, you know, but it actually has some really interesting potential. So here's the deal. I mean, we know that we have the Gulf oil spill sediments coming in to Louisiana for the next 15 years to help fund restoration, but the amount, you know, falls short, as we've discussed earlier, for fully implementing the wetland restoration portions of the state's master plan. So one idea to help reduce that funding gap is to pursue outcome-based contracting and designed properly, you know, what it should be able to do is get wetland restoration projects built at a lower cost, potentially faster, and even with better quality so that they can be even more sustainable in the long run. So it's a cool tool. And then, like, last time I talked about the environmental impact bond that we were um, designing and studying, um, Pay for performance contracting is actually an essential part of that environmental impact bond concept. So, Shannon, what are you know the diff- some of the differences between you know outcome based performance contracts and, and a typical contract that um, CPRA might enter in for some of these projects? Right. So, if you think about a traditional contract, at least in the you know the government context, or even if you're renovating your home. You know, often we'll have it written out to precisely define with detailed specifications what the contractor is going to do, um, and that's a, as opposed to the outcome of their work. So for what I mean by that, because this concept of outcome sometimes is sort of weird to people, a traditional contract would say something like, you're going to put clean sediment water down in open water areas of this wetland to get raise the uh, the sediment to a certain elevation, then you're going to plant native wetland grasses, you know, three feet apart on center. And the contractor gets paid for doing exactly that, but not necessarily on how successful that wetlands restoration actually is. So an outcome-based performance contract does a couple of things. It's, it's really different in its mindset. It basically sets forth objectives and indicators. What is a successful wetland restoration going to look like and how it's going to behave. And then it will also establish how are the data on the progress or the action, you know, the, the amount, the wetland restoration itself going to be measured. And then in some cases, it can establish consequences or rewards. I mean, it can be, you know, a good or a bad kind of thing based on the outcomes. So, for example, uh, an outcome would be, does the wetland slow coastal erosion? Does it reduce flooding for nearby properties? Um, does it create more fish and wildlife habitat? Are there more ducks you know, to hunt? Um, and then what you're doing is using the private sector to determine the most efficient ways to meet that desired outcome, and that's where those um, cost savings can occur. That's great. And, and kind of, is it measured um, over time or kind of throughout um, construction of the project? Or is that something that's still to be determined a little bit? Exactly. It's to be determined. And so those are the kinds of things that I think the state is going to be laying out there, uh, I believe, you know, their thought process. How are they thinking about this? 
and I expect, you know, will be open to, you know, ideas on how they should think about this. You know, should it be a measure that's done immediately after the contract or, you know, more likely some, you know, maintenance period to make sure it's actually working, which, you know, would not be altogether unexpected. And has there been a lot of interest from, you know, contractors on this type of, of, uh, I guess, contract? Uh, my understanding is yes, that the the environmental restoration industry, you know, the private sector experts that are doing this work in for mitigation banking around the country, were you know really influential in getting the new authority in Louisiana to you know to try this performance based contracting um, out. So they have the authority now to do it. Great. Well, we want to chat a little bit more about this, Shannon, and be sure to plug the meeting again. We're going to take a short break, and then we'll be back right after. You're listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM. National Wildlife Federation gives voices to the wildlife conservation values that are part of our country's heritage. We are charting a new course for wildlife that our children and grandchildren will thank us for. Visit our website, nwf.org Louisiana, to find out more about our work to restore and protect coastal Louisiana for generations to come. National Wildlife Federation, uniting all Americans to ensure wildlife thrive in a rapidly changing world. nwf.org Louisiana. At Audubon, we believe that where birds thrive, people prosper. Nowhere is that more evident than in Louisiana. Integrating science, education, and policy, Audubon, Louisiana's mission is to conserve and restore natural ecosystems, focusing on birds, other wildlife, and their habitats for the benefit of humanity and the Earth's biological diversity. Visit la.audubon.org to learn more and support our mission. la.audubon.org. Restore Retreat is a coastal nonprofit organization working in the heart of the Barataria and Terrebonne Basins, from the Mississippi River to the Atchafalaya. We work every day to restore Louisiana's coast community and culture with our mission of implementing long-term and large-scale projects for our irreplaceable region. We'll hope you join us in supporting the solution. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and online at www.restoreorretreat.org. Hi, I'm Don Cheadle. Listen up. I want to talk to you about something important, the Environmental Defense Fund. EDF isn't like some of the other environmental groups. EDF works together with those on both sides of the issue. Despite all the fighting in Washington, EDF has found ways for both parties to support real progress. That has made our air and water cleaner and the products in our homes safer. So not only can our planet prosper, so can our future. Go to edf.org to see how you can help. Welcome back to Delta Dispatches. My name is Simone Malaz with Restore or Retreat. And I'm Jacques Avera with Audubon, Louisiana. Welcome back. We're with Shannon Kniff of EDF, and we are talking about uh, Shannon's a repeat guest, guest, and we're talking about different ways that you can finance coastal restoration. And she is, in particular, working on a project uh, that is called outcome-based performance contracting. So, Shannon, we talked about that a little bit before the break, but um, let's talk about like what would be some of the drawbacks or concerns about these kind of pay-for-performance contracts. Well. 
You know, it, it all depends on how the whole program is designed and approached. Devil's so, in the I, details, right, Shannon? Exactly. <laughs> So I've been trying to think about that to organize my own thoughts. And I, mean, I see sort of four potential um, challenges. Um, I, want, I don't want to call them flaws per se, but things that have to be thought through. So one is, um, you know, what, how do you balance um, the outcomes? I mean, a wetland does many good things, right? They're complicated. They're complex. Um, so reducing it to a single, you know, what do you get out of it can be tricky. So, and also, you know, like, um, so what I'm trying to say is, like, what's good for birds might not be good for fish. Yeah, you know, so right. How do you pick those kinds of things? And then it may change by where, where is that wetland and what are you trying to achieve? Um, so there's a lot for the state to think through this way to make the program work. Another aspect, which is very much related to the, you know, how do you balance those outcomes is how do you measure them? And how can you do it, right. you know, quickly, easily, and frankly, fairly? Right. Um, you know, so the contractor knows how they're going to be measured and that it is a good measurement in the end to say, did we get the product that we wanted? A third issue is, this is something more global, I guess, which is how are they going to set out where pay for performance or outcome-based contracts um, are implemented? So, Let's say if you're looking at the coastal master plan and you see all the what we call the green blobs on the map, so those are the generalized wetland restoration areas. If the contractor is given complete freedom of choice in where they're going to, um, which areas they're going to pick to restore, then potentially they could be choosing the easiest. Yeah, right. Cherry picking, right. Exactly. And so then what I worry about is when the state does a you know, traditional contract or you know, does the work itself, perhaps by comparison it makes this something you know, like the state or the traditional approach look much more expensive or less efficient when really the state was getting stuck with the toughest sites to handle. Yeah, and and you're right. The devil's in the details. I know that they did put, I think, a cap on the legislation, right, this first go-round, I think, that – Maybe it's a $250 million cap, which also means a certain kind of project here in Louisiana, right? Because other, you know, projects are more expensive than others. So, uh, but yeah, that's what you're trying to help them think through. Right. And then the cap is also in part like, well, let's try this out. Let's see if it works. Let's not go whole hog into it before we know, does it really save money? I think there's one other thing, which is... um, assigning the risk correctly. And by that I mean, you know, uh, what is a contractor responsible for in making a wetland restoration work, right? All that technical expertise that, you know, they're providing. They know how to do this. But what happens when a hurricane comes whipping through that site, you know, three years into their construction? Uh Uh-oh, you know, well, so normally a contractor, and I don't think, I I, I don't know how it's going to work in the pay performance, but I think this is an obvious place where they can have this discussion is, um, you know, who's paying for that um, fixing up of the site and getting it back on track. Um, And this is actually um, where, for example, right now the state picks up that risk. Um, And I think that's how it would still work under a pay for performance um, scenario because the the contractor themselves is sort of like an act of God kind of thing. They're not responsible. So the state would have to pay again to get that restoration happening. 
that's where the environmental impact bond concept that I talked right. about a few weeks ago actually can kick in. Mm-hmm. It might help address that by sharing that risk with the private sector. Yeah, we were, I was actually uh, just in D.C. last week at a, a P3 conference, which is public-private partnerships, and they talk a lot about this. And one thing that Louisiana needs to consider is um, we do have hurricanes and, and we are responsible right now for that for that risk. But we are also talking about building more and more and more. And so um, instead of just having four projects damaged by a hurricane, we potentially could have 20. And, and the mm-hmm. impact of that might be greater. And that means we, we may need to up our game in terms of in terms of how do we reduce our risk. And so it's it's an interesting conversation, especially here in Louisiana, as we move forward with some of these innovative financing mechanisms. So right. Sh- and that raises, like, maybe you want to have uh, parametric insurance sure. on restoration projects. Catastrophe so bonds, that brings hits, up... Then- Bingo, money comes in. Yeah. So, Sheena, why don't, why don't you tell us what we can expect, some next steps after this public meeting? Well, um, what I understand, but I can't, you know, I'm not going to commit to this, but what I understand the state's going to be doing is have some sort of 30-day period where folks could, you know, still submit ideas and reactions to what they hear at the public meeting. And then I suspect that means that, you know, there'll be some guidance coming out of, you know, CPRA describing how they want to move forward. Mm -hmm. With this, um, and then, you know, um, maybe, well, I don't know what their timing would be, if it would be next year, you know, but 2019 sometime or 2018, where they actually might lift off one of these projects. Exciting. Um, and then, of course, from our perspective, you know, we'll be listening. I intend to be at that meeting mm-hmm. and hearing what people are saying mm-hmm. so that we can incorporate those ideas as we design this prototype environmental impact bond. Well, that's great. I mean, and we said it before that we're going to continue to follow this story and and look to you, Shannon, um, to kind of help us understand it, understand the developments. I do want to put in a plug um, for your great blog post that I think really clearly outlines, um, you know, the difference between outcome-based performance contracting, environmental impact bonds, um, pay for performance, bringing the best of the private sector to realize wetland restoration. Um, And that is available on our website, MississippiRiverDelta.org. Um, as a reminder, the meeting is next Wednesday, December 13th at 2 p.m. Um, in the LaSalle Building, 617 North North 3rd Street in Baton Rouge. Um, thank you again, Shannon, for being on. And I hope uh, you know you, you have a great time while in Louisiana and, and attending the meeting. Yeah, we'll see you next uh, week, Shannon. It was an honor. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Shannon. Right. So, Bye-bye. Jacques, what else do we have coming up? Well, as you can tell from outside, it's beginning to feel a lot like Christmas. The so. I know, exactly. Maybe let it snow. Um, (laughs) So this Saturday, of course, is um, the uh, uh, Lights at the Lake Holiday Bash. What an awesome idea. Um, And our partners, like Pontchartrain Basin Foundation, are hosting a viewing party at the New Canal Lighthouse. It's free admission um, December 9th from 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. Kid-friendly. There will be caroling, book readings, a live band. Um, you can watch the West End Christmas Boat Parade, which is so cool. Very cool. Um, lots of local boat owners, um, you know, singing. They'll have a raffle, hot chocolate, all that good stuff. So bring your family out. Hot um, chocolate. So the New Canal Lighthouse um, this Saturday from 4 to 8 p.m. Uh, there are also volunteer opportunities. So 
Um, our partners at Coalition to Restore Coastal Louisiana are doing their Carnarvon tree planting. That's part of 10,000 Trees. That's down in my neck of the woods, Braithwaite. Um, so it's December 12th, 13th, 14th from 9 um, to 4. And you can go to crcl.org to learn more. And of course, Audubon is Let's talk about the birds. having it. We're launching our um, annual 118. 118. We go way back. Way back. We go way back. Um, You're like an ancient hurricane. Christmas bird <laughs> count um, starting December 14th through January 5th. And you can go to audubon.org or la.audubon.org um, to learn where they're happening. They're happening all over the state. Plaquemines Parish. There's one in New Orleans. It's a great opportunity. And you have a workshop. Sparrow Identification Workshop this Saturday, 8 to 5. Eric. Um, Eric Johnson, who we've had on Love the show, Eric. is going to be at the Cameron Prairie National Wildlife Refuge for a day helping you identify, identify sparrows. So you can go to la.audubon.org to learn more and sign up. Sign up. I miss you. Glad you're back. You. Well, go Saints, right? Who died? Yeah, I totally forgot today was game day. BJ's in his gear. And they have the Spanish... Spanish language uh, to you know, telecast of the, the Saints game following us. Who dat? Who dat? Beat the dirty birds. What's the word? Dirty. Dirty <laughs> kill bird. Kill the bird. Oh, kill the oh, bird. Come okay. on. You're listening to Delta Dispatches. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>